welcome to Night of the Living Geeks. If you geek out over it, we've got a podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Podcast here on Night of the Living Geeks Network. Episode 136, The Ghost Monument. My name is Taylor and joining me... Wait a second. I'm in the captain's chair. <gasps> That's right. Joining me as a special guest this week, friend of the show, Mike Solko. Mike, how's it going? Hey, Taylor. Going really well. It's great to be here. How are you doing today? Uh, boy, I was doing great until the first 51 minutes of this episode completely crashed and no one will ever hear it. It is lost to the ages. Yeah, um, you know, that that happened to me uh, the second time I was doing an episode of the Time Scoop, my late lamented podcast. Uh, uh, we went back to play it back after the fact, and my audio was overwritten over everybody else's. Oh, dear. And it was unsalvageable. Oh. So so somewhere there's a missing episode, uh, or maybe it's like the pilot of Doctor Who back in the day where uh, where Sidney Newman made them go back and redo it. So, yes. But uh, yeah, we, we haven't been talking about this episode in Who News for the last 50 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so so if, uh, if this sounds at all rehearsed uh just just it's because we're that good yep we might be a little rapid fire here for a bit but we are still gonna hit all the great stuff we're gonna open with some who news gallifrey one ticket transfers are open now and i reminds me i've got to get john and lauren their tickets yeah and you know again if anybody's listening and hasn't been to gallifrey one if you have the chance to get to gallifrey one uh you've got to do it even if it's just for a day uh you know they don't do single day tickets but still uh whatever your ticket price is it's going to be worth it um, you know, I mean, they've got guests from New Who, um, you know, they've got classic guests. I mean, uh, Carol Ann Ford and William Russell, London, 1965. Uh, you know, I, well, London, when did Susan leave? 20 uh, something. Something uh, like that. Yeah, it was, it was much later for Susan, but sure. Still, uh, lots of London there. Uh, but you know, again, <laughs> these are people who were there from day one in 1963. And how many opportunities are you going to get to see them, especially in the U S let yeah. alone anywhere? But, you know, um, again, Pearl Mackey's supposed to be there this year, um, and she's just magical. Uh, she, I can't wait to meet her. She's so cool. And Colin Baker, who, uh, don't tell the others, is my in-real-life favorite doctor. So, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they're all really cool. It's, it's really neat to meet them, and they're really great. But I think Colin is the one who really just goes out of his way to be an ambassador for the program. So oh, it's going to be fun sure. to see him again. Yeah, definitely. Well, May 2019 is going to see Big Finish release the 10th Doctor Adventures Volume 3 featuring Donna Noble. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, you have some Big Finish news that just dropped today too, right? Yeah. um, So starting in January, there's going to be uh, three stories, uh, one each month, January, February, March, uh, featuring the 5th Doctor. And uh, it's going to be with the team of Tegan and Turlow, Mm -hmm. which uh, that was one of the more regular teams they did at one point. Um, Then they started bringing Nissa and Adric in. Uh, But what's really going to freshen this up a bit is uh, they're bringing back a character that only appeared in two actual stories, but was still considered kind of a companion, uh, which is Chameleon, uh, uh, the shape-changing robot. Uh, and Chameleon first showed up in the King's Demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the people who uh, were, were working with the character unfortunately passed away. Um, the puppeteer, I believe. Um, and so they had a lot of struggles with making the robot work. 
uh, was much narrower than, say, like a C-3PO. You couldn't fit a human inside of it. Oh. Um, so, so Chameleon joined in the first, uh, joined in the King's Demons, and then promptly got stuck in the TARDIS cupboard for about five to seven stories, <gasps> and then uh, came back for Planet of the Fire, Planet of Fire, excuse me, uh, which I don't think you guys have covered yet. No, uh, we haven't. What, yeah, one of the last Fifth Doctor stories, but uh, so so yeah, Chameleon is a shape-changing robot, and uh, doing the voice is going to be John Coleshaw. And um, some of you may be familiar with that name or it might ring a bell. Uh, he was a part of a radio show called Dead Ringers, and a lot of the clips are on YouTube. Uh, but he does the most dead-on Tom Baker impersonation possible. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, you can look up uh, just Dead Ringers and Doctor Who or John Coleshaw Doctor Who. There's even one where he dresses up as Tom Baker and goes to interview Tom Baker in person. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and there's somewhere he prank calls the other doctors as Tom, and uh, some of them fall for it. So Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so uh, John Coleshaw is an incredibly talented artist uh, as far as vocals go. So it'll be curious to see how they utilize him as a shape-changing robot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He may do several of the voices. Who knows? But, you know, if you're an 80s Doctor Who fan, uh, that's kind of a neat deep dive there. Oh, that'll be exciting. Yeah. Nice. Well, Earther, which is part of that whole like Gizmodo io9 website uh, family, uh, they recently sat down with a bunch of scientists to talk about what it might be like to actually live on Gallifrey, literally from a scientific perspective based on how uh the planet has been described in in uh different episodes and it actually sounds like kind of a nightmarish hellscape see i, I would have thought it was like a painting right <laughs> yeah nice i see what you did there um and don't worry if we are kind of ripping through these at uh, breakneck <laughs> speed there will be links to everything in the show notes please this week of all weeks go check the show notes to get all the uh the drilling down on all of this but it it is really kind of a fascinating read this article yeah uh it's it's definitely worth checking out and uh again it's they they pull on a lot of stuff from the show's history to put that together uh so it's a it's a nerdy deep dive in the best possible way yeah for sure (laughs) and it's kind of reminds me a little bit of desolation uh from this story we're going to be talking about this week yeah that's for sure and you know speaking we're only what two episodes into the season now um which i'm going to try to remind myself is not one fifth of the way into the season already um but we do have names and synopses for episodes three through six um now i maybe i won't spoil everyone with synopses but let's at least hit the titles here um so next week for episode three we have rosa which i believe makes a tie for the shortest doctor who episode title ever what what would be the other one? Uh, strangely enough, Rose. That's pretty close. Yeah, That's one very letter. close. Just a vowel. Um, it's going to be a pub quiz question. Someday. It totally will be. You know that it will be. Um, episode four is the nicely puntastic arachnids in the UK. Oh, just so I, bad. I love it. I love it. I love a good pun. I love it. Well, pun. that's the problem. That's true. Um, episode five. I totally feel like I am going to flub the name of this but it's the saranga conundrum she gotta make good, sure to say good that guess. slowly yeah that <laughs> could be <laughs> we'll see yep and episode six is going to be demons of the punjab yeah you know and it's going to be interesting because we have um the story with rosa parks next week mm-hmm. um which again is a very pivotal moment in american history and it's a very sensitive topic and understandably so um so it's going to be very interesting to see how they handled that 
Yeah. Uh, as well as another, you know, one that I, I don't know too many details about that last story as well that you mentioned. But uh, so again, is it's there's always that little bit of fear when Doctor Who brings in other cultures as far as how it's going to get handled or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so so fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, you know, for again, sure. I, I, I don't think they're going to do anything from a point of, of uh, intentional, you know, negligence or, you know, they're, I'm, I'm sure with the current team that they're going to put a lot of care into these stories. Um, you know, no, no talents of Wing Chiang here, uh, no. but <laughs> sorry, don't at me. Uh, but yeah, so again, it's just, there's that little bit of fear, but again, I'm hopeful that these stories kind of, uh, they do tell some historical things that are really meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe for people who aren't familiar with these stories, uh, bring up more of that history and challenge them to go check it out. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I think, you know, the hope of anyone who does a show like this is to actually generate more interest in history uh, and in the experiences that that we've had as a people. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, one of the key things about Doctor Who is it was intended to educate mm-hmm. and uh, that gets lost at times. But, you know, I but it's also something it's a show that's inspired a lot of people to go on to really interesting careers or just to lead lives that they may not have. So, absolutely. Yeah, so I, th- when Doctor Who uh, provides those opportunities or challenges people, that's one of the best things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And lastly tonight, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society has unveiled their plaque to honor William Hartnell. Uh, they did it over the weekend. Last weekend had a bunch of um, family and uh, friends and fellow castmates. I know uh, uh, William Russell and Caroline Ford were there, amongst other people. Julian Glover, I think, was. Uh, so that that's finally coming together for them and that's that's excellent because without bill hartnell we would not have had any of this yeah very true uh it's it's always neat to see those kind of little uh commemorative things or just just ways to to remember the series and commemorate them indeed so, definitely yeah. which does remind me of a lateral one um if you are anywhere near uh wales uh you may want to go check out the uh, the ianto shrine uh ianto jones from torchwood uh, yes it's it's kind of semi-flooded right now. So. Oh, no. Um, but, well, yeah, it actually, uh, there was some kind of flooding near it. Um, it was just maybe like the lower quarter of the, the shrine. But, okay. Uh, but knowing Ianto fans, uh, it will be back in full shape, if not better, probably by the end of the week. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> okay. Well, time for the main event. We watched The Ghost Monument, starring Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, Mandeep Gill as Yasmin Khan, Tossin Cole as Ryan Sinclair, Bradley Walsh as Graham O'Brien, Susan Lynch as Angstrom, and Sean Dooley as Epso. It was written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Mr. Mark Tondurai. It first aired October 14th, 2018 as the second story of season 11. Yes, and uh, Taylor, I think this is the point where usually you would give us some show notes. Yes, and thanks to the fine folks at TARDIS Wikia, we have some. Um, it's always one of those things where you're doing the show, doing this show the day after that show, and you're like, are there going to be any story notes? But God bless these people. There are. Please support them. So we got our new opening sequence this week, which... I was very excited about, and it is the first time since Time of the Ronnie in 1987 that the TARDIS doesn't appear. Well, with the exception of the Day of the Doctor and Sleep No More, but it's just two episodes. Yeah, I guess we went from a first-person view to a third-person view, and now we're back to that first-person view. Oh, so, maybe that's it, yeah. yeah. That we, we get to me. be the TARDIS again. I'm okay with that. I'm very okay with that. <laughs> this is also the first time, this is kind of crazy, since The Husbands of River Song, that the story has had no scenes on Earth. Wow, that that seems. 
I mean, I've just been running that through my brain and I'm trying to think, uh, because it seems like maybe with the finale there may have, of, uh, of the Capaldiera, the, that last Cyberman story, mm-hmm. I don't remember anything on earth in that. Uh, but maybe if you're counting it as a two-parter, you know, that would, that would make sense. Well, I mean, they, they do, they do have all the, the World War One scenes. Oh, well, that was not the, not, sorry, not the World of in time, but the one before it with the Cybermen. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, because it was all mostly on, like, the, the Cybermen ship, and I don't remember them going back to Earth, but, mm-hmm. but who knows? I'd have so to go I will, back I will and take watch it. it. Yeah, I'll take it on good faith. Fair point. Fair point. Well, the last oh. time the Doctor was on a crashing spaceship was in the very short but incredibly well done Night of the Doctor. Yeah, uh, that was one of the first things that stood out to me. Uh, as soon as uh, the doctor said, hey, we need to jettison the back of the ship, mm. I, I wanted to yell at the TV, no, that's where you run because the front, of the end for, the front end of the ship crashes, crashes first, um, as Paul McGann told us. But if we look back and we see how that worked out for Paul McGann, uh, I think the 13th doctor has a much better idea here. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, this is typically the time where John would say that it's time for one of my world-famous synopsises. Synopses? Synopses. Synopses, plural, synopsis, individual. See, there you go. Time for a world-famous synopsis. How about that? Yeah, there you go. Oh, English majors, what are you guys going to do with us? (laughs) Uh, Here we go. Team TARDIS find themselves at the end of the great space coaster. I mean, race. But on a planet almost literally designed to kill them. Well, anyone, really. Can they make it through the night? Can they make it to the ghost monument and teach the racers the real meaning of teamwork? Oh, and who's this timeless child person anyway? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't even know where to start with this one. I mean, there's so much going on. Um, and and one of the key things I'm going to call out and probably be a little more brief than I did on our last episode is... Uh, <laughs> our last uh, episode, yeah. Uh, Sagan Akinola, who's the new composer, um, I he's my hero right now. Amazing, um, isn't it right? I, yeah, I mean, I love the new cast. I love the new Doctor. Um, I'm very happy with the way the show's going so far. But when I when I go back and I rewatch these episodes and I really try to focus in on the music maybe a little more than I did the first go-round, mm-hmm. it just strikes me how powerful the music he's doing is. And he's doing it in a very subtle way. Um, a lot of the time it's just very low-key synthesizers or maybe one or two instruments. But, um, you know, for years with Murray Gold, we had just these bombastic over-the-top scores that were really kind of it – would, it would drive you emotionally towards a particular – you know, just a particular idea or a particular emotion. Right. Um, and with, with Segun and what he's doing is it feels like it's much more of a, 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 a just a subtle guidance. And there's there are scenes where he just underplays things to a point and it serves to the credit of the story. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I would really call out from this episode, uh, is there's a scene where of course the, uh, I think they were called the remnants, yeah. uh, the different kind of like the, the fabric rags that were attacking everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of music during that scene and it only swells for a moment when the timeless child comes up. Uh, but then there's the big explosion. Uh, you know, they throw the cigar in the air and they light it, um, and I wonder if that science is real or not. I look forward to hearing about that. But well, I, I know acetylene is flammable. There you go. Uh, and a little bit of a tangent there, but but again, <laughs> it's, um, so so it swells for that brief moment, and then it goes silent for the explosion, and then it just kind of very gradually just fades back in. Mm-hmm. And um, again, is it's it's it very much leads the story, but it doesn't emotionally manipulate the audience. Yeah. Uh, 
so again, is there's there's a few things that I may call out as we talk, but again, he's uh, so far, and it's hard to even say MVP at this point, but what he's doing right now, I would pay for a score every single week if I could right now. You and me both, I've been so impressed by the music, um, and even the fact that the music isn't there all the time. It's not taking you through literally everything that's happening. Um, there are times where there's an absence of music and sometimes that absence can almost be more impactful than having the music going the whole time. Yeah. Well, um, you know, and, and you mentioned it during the, the show notes, but what do you think about the new, uh, both visually and musically, what do you think of the new titles? Um, I, I love the new titles. Um, I, I, they just, they, they look really neat. The effects are really cool. Um, I, I, we were kind of talking about this before and it's lost to the ages, but we'll, we'll bring this point back now. <laughs> um, and we'll make mention of that at least up to a point in this episode and then it'll all be new again. Um, where, um, at least color wise, um, we, we get some hints of the McCoy era uh intro with those those purples and the blues and everything kind of going there yeah you know um, it's it's a modern take as opposed to being done on an amiga but yes. um but again it's you know <laughs> and, and we don't get and we don't get a silver head of jody winking at us like uh, mccoy did but that's true but yeah I mean, that was one thing that struck me definitely uh, just being a fan of that era was the purples yeah definitely uh, the, the music itself i mean there 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 was so much talk for so long that they were going to do this big reimagining of the theme <laughs> but they were going to sample and when i think of a sample i think of a sample being kind of small um the the original the original uh, uh derbyshire um theme so i wasn't really quite sure what i had built up in my mind but at first it, this wasn't it i was kind of like oh okay this sounds like the original theme with some you know killer bass behind it um but listening to it this afternoon with with headphones in being able to kind of really focus on a lot of the smaller bits and kind of how everything's working together um it really grew on me really quickly in fact there are elements of it that i would um almost say are evocative of dominic glenn's uh terror version of the doctor who theme which never saw air but it was released on cd and has got to be my favorite version uh of the theme with admittedly the the latin version being my guilty pleasure favorite oh no i i, I, I don't I know, know about sorry. that latin version but, I... uh, but the but the terror version <laughs> uh if you're listening and you haven't heard it um you know just uh either make a note now or just break off for a moment go check it out on youtube or a streaming service you can find it again by dominic glenn uh it, it is kind of it's a very spooky low-key version yeah um, and and I do see some of that, especially with the opening notes of this. Um, it's it's a little darker mm -hmm. or a little more ominous than what we've had over the last ten years or so. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get the Dahlia Derbyshire, like the you get the ominous, not ominous, but like the the really otherworldly echo chamber feel, yeah. um, which was more from like her second take from around 1966 or so. Um, so you, so you get that, which I think to a lot of people is just that is the Doctor Who sound. Um, but like you said, you've got the bass and you've got kind of the marching drums. And mm -hmm. so, uh, there's something about it feels very modern. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful mix. And again, is it just, it really kicks off the new era perfectly. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then with the, the visuals, um, you know, you get the time tunnel, but again, as it doesn't, you know, we've had like the clouds and stuff like that over the last few years. And right. this actually looks like some creepy otherworldly, you know, portal, uh, so that's cool. And then you come out on the other side and all of a sudden you're in this purpley star field. 
And definitely the first place I go with that is the McCoy era. But it also goes back to uh, like 1980 through 1986 when you had like the the late Baker, uh, Davison, and then Colin Baker stuff. Um, you know, so you've got that Starfield as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, so they're they're bringing a lot of things and kind of mashing it up, and whether that's intentional or just kind of what happened, um, I, I think it's just a neat way to incorporate everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so maybe great. that'll be a question I'll get to ask somebody someday is what their what their goal was there. Yeah, definitely. I would love, you know, at a future Gallifrey or whatever, to get some of these designers and stuff in to kind of pick their brains. Yeah, that's to me. I'm always interested in talking to people behind the scenes and just really getting their their take on things and what they were going for. Oh, for uh, sure. You know, and, and the visual design of this episode, um, really last episode as well. Um, this one has much more taking place during the daytime, uh, but just the cinematics and everything has been beautiful. Oh um, my gosh, yes. You know, I mean, it felt like a world that could have been inhabited at one point, but it was definitely like there was some scariness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, I, I, I appreciate the way that they scouted this and the way they filmed it. Um, and I thought it was interesting because when I was looking at the the ships and the and the character costumes for the for the the guest characters. It almost made me think back to like Space Hunter or like just some bad 80s movies that were like sci-fi and took place in the <laughs> desert. And, you know, Cherry 2000. I, yeah, kids go, well, don't look them up. Just don't. But <laughs> but still, it kind of had a little bit of a retro feel to me or maybe even like some Captain EO to it with the ship. I, I can I can kind of see that, you know, definitely. Um, I love the design of the ships. I mean, I've been playing uh, No Man's Sky on the PlayStation. So, you know, it's, it's all in space and on unusual planets and everybody's got a different spaceship and so seeing spaceship design i've kind of been like fixated on that kind of stuff lately and i love the design of the ships uh in this one and and just how the whole episode is shot and how they take this these locations in south africa and and literally make them look just like a completely realized world is just so epic yeah, absolutely. You know, and it was interesting, too, because, you know, we had the cliffhanger from last time with mm-hmm. everybody floating in space. And, you know, of course, you know that most likely a ship is going to come along and pick them up. And I thought it was a neat narrative trick to have these characters, uh, Epso and, and Angstrom, both individually picking up two of the characters, uh, basically uh, headhunting them. Yeah. Trying to take them back and get some sort of reward or something, uh, probably to be sold in slavery or I, I don't know specifically, but um, but it was kind of a neat thing that it not that that's a good thing, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> but just this idea, though, that it gave a narrative push as to why they would stop, especially in the middle of a race to right. pick up individuals who are floating in space. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, we have these two characters and really I thought it was interesting in that opening because, um, I would say that Epso seemed a little more level headed and of course he was really grouchy about his wannabe millennium Falcon. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't believe that was the pride of even his own garage, let alone the, the galaxy. Yeah, very possibly. Um, you know, and Angstrom was a little more, uh, a little more bold and just, she seemed a little more inconsiderate of the other characters. Um, and that really shifted pretty quickly once that she found out that she couldn't get anything for them. Yeah. You know, whereas whereas Epso after that point kind of just became really gruff and just, you know, kind of a jerk. So. Well, and it, it's I kind of like how over the course of the episode, we kind of get their backstory and their um, what their, what pushes them forward, their impetus, their M.O., whatever you want to call it, um, you know, and, and how they both kind of come from really uh, some rather different uh backgrounds and and but they're both here in this 
contest in this race trying to you know one basically trying to get all the glory for himself and another one you know looking to uh help her family and her people who are being cleansed i mean we literally have ethnic cleansing going on um at the hands of the stenza no less yeah uh, in in the case of angstrom yeah, and, and it'll be curious to see kind of how that Stenza stuff builds up over the course of the season. Yes, um, I was very surprised. I, I think that they're very worthy of being a recurring villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it's just going to be a matter of, of really seeing how they develop. Um, and even do we know if Tim Shaw did survive or not? We assume so, but it's tough to say. Yeah, um, he kind of had was... multiple DNA bombs going off at the same time, so. <laughs> That's pretty brutal. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, but... The other piece of it, too, is this place, this takes place temporally immediately after last episode. Right. Um, so so this is still the same Stenza that we've kind of been introduced to so far. But there could be a story that takes place further in the past or further in the future. Um, uh, you know, like we've had with the Daleks and the Cybermen. Uh, maybe, you know, she's going to show up and they're going to recognize the Doctor as their great enemy. Um, you know, and in 15 years, we're going to get to see, uh, probably Peter Davison square off against them on big finish. Uh, (laughs) but you know, again, so I, I think they're an interesting villain and I think it's going to be fun to see how they shape up. Um, you know, hopefully a little bit, not too frequently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and thinking about that scene, you, you kind of mentioned about the different impetus the characters had, the, the guest characters, and we kind of got to hear about some different sides of family um, as far as uh, Epso had a mother that was very cold and brutal to him. Right, um, yeah. And to Angstrom, family is everything. Yeah. Um, and we kind of got a few throwaway lines from Jazz, uh, probably about one of the only things we've had about her personal life so far. Um, so so it seems like that's a little thread that was placed, and we'll get to see how that develops. Um, because probably one of my biggest frustrations so far is the, the lack of, yeah, is getting to do anything. Um, she, you know, she had some stuff to do in the first episode, but, um, character wise, I think she's been present, but hasn't really been able to express much or grow much yet. Yeah, Um, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, there's definitely almost kind of a more natural fixation on Ryan and Graham because they are at least... Uh, not by blood, but uh, related. So you've got that, you know, they've both experienced the loss of grace. So they've got that. And I, and I like that they didn't, you know, just like leave it out of this episode. I mean, I like that it is still so very present because, you know, episode two picks up right after episode one. And so it's, it's still something going on. It's still something that they're talking about and it's still something that they're coping with. Yeah. The scene with Graham and Ryan talking while they're trying to see if they can repair the ship or not. Um, mm-hmm. I thought there was some really key stuff there because, you know, Graham is really trying to talk to him and get him to open up. Yeah. Um, you know, and he even calls him son a few times through the episode. And, you know, I think that that's really meant as my son or, you know, at least my my stepson. Uh, you know, it's, it's meant as a sign of affection. And Ryan just won't open up to him. No. Now, what's interesting, though, is think back to last episode's framing device you had the YouTube scenes at the beginning and the end of the episode. And Ryan is more comfortable talking about his, his grandma and the loss of her with complete strangers on the internet Mm -hmm. than he is with this man who's been a part of his life, whether he likes it or not. Um, so, so it's just interesting. And, and, you know, I, I'm about hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy age. Uh, I know you just hit it this year. Yes, indeed. And so again, (laughs) um, 
there's things though, you know, I can relate to that where I would share it on the internet with people I barely know, but I wouldn't share it with family members. Yeah. I get um, it. You know, and, and I think especially for younger generations who've grown up with this ever present media, I, I think that that's something that rings very true. You know, again, that he would, he would rather get a comment from an anonymous YouTube user um, as long as it's not one of those two people who disliked his video, yeah. those are the real villains of this season. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, though, it's, it's, it's just interesting though, that that's the dynamic and I, I'm going to be curious to see how it grows over the course of this season. And mm-hmm. does Ryan come around or maybe more interestingly, maybe he doesn't, um, you know, I mean, I think it'll be more emotionally satisfying if he does. But, it, but again, is that, that conflicting nature of their relationship without it being adversarial. Yeah, and, and I think that's another key thing is speaking as someone who has some not so great parental stuff with step situations and so on. It's not so much that you're adversarial. It's not that you're fighting or arguing. You just don't want to be around that person unless you have to. Right, right. So, and, I, and I get that. And, I, and and I'm also I'm already looking at Graham, who seems to be kind of coming around from this like, uh, you know, I don't want to do anything outside the comfort of my. Uh, living room with my uh, bus driver <laughs> friends to okay we're on an alien planet and we're gonna make the best of this and um you know let's pitch in and and make things work and like he he at least is and and maybe it's just something that does come with age he even though he may have this comfort of like oh, i want to stay in my little sheffield bubble and aliens don't ever come here this has now been thrust upon him and and he's at least got the um experience uh that comes with life and comes with age to go okay i'm in this situation we we got to make it work and obviously he's like he said in the episode he's he's kind of working with like well what would grace say what what would her reaction be yeah i i cringed a little bit when he said that just because again i i hate the idea of a woman character and especially a black woman character being killed as motivation for someone else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time at least it is a more positive take on it as opposed to i'm gonna go out and get revenge right so, oh yeah 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 so i mean it's, it's it's still a little bit problematic but again as compared to what it could be it's not completely horrible mm-hmm. um again just uh chibnall if you're out there you know just bring grace back somehow you know everybody every other showrunner brings people back um you know or bring us an alternate universe grace something a meta crisis grace just please bring it back <laughs> come on man and, and chibnall if you're out there thanks for listening to our podcast we appreciate that <laughs> i'm flattered you know, I think we're gonna have to go on that bbc talkback show and uh and kind of give them give them what's for what for so. okay yeah, if, if you've never seen that video, just go just go look up uh, Chibnall and John Nathan Turner. I think is the best way to find it. And, oh, okay. And you'll see him giving them the business as far oh, as not liking Doctor Who around 1986, 1987. Oh my so, gosh, yeah, yeah, young Chibnall. It's pretty I'll have amazing. To look that up. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link if I can find it. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Um. So. So. Yeah. Um. But again, just the gray stuff was a little worrisome. But again, I like that 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 dynamic between Graham and between Ryan, I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, I thought we got some interesting stuff with Ryan to this episode um, in terms of the, the scene where he picks up the gun and wants to run out and fight the sniper bots. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's, it's a ridiculous moment. Um, the score kicks up into this big guitar riff and it just seems like an action movie for about 10 seconds. And then he realizes this is a terrible plan and runs back inside. Yes. That so. I, that whole scene was just and him just running back in. I mean, it was almost cartoonish. Yeah, 
You know, and, and again, for, for, for there's going to be new people watching this or, or people who are watching it for the first time in a long time. And, and there's always that question as far as why doesn't the doctor use a gun or, you know, again, Star Trek carries phasers. Star Wars has blasters. Why can't she have some kind of weapon? Right. And, and again, so just to get that little scene where, you know, again, she uses her smarts and she, uh, you know, she destroys the enemies. Um, but again, it's, she doesn't have to use actual violence to do so. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get really technical, the sniper bots survive. I mean, you know, they reboot after 10 minutes. So, so she's not even killing the, uh, the robots. Yeah. I, and that's one thing that I noticed about this episode, you know, cause I'm always, I, I want to get my kids into doctor who, and there's moments where they seem ready for it. There's moments where they're like, nah, dad, that's your thing. <laughs> um, but I'm always looking for, you know, what's a good episode that won't be too scary because, you know, one of my kids is a little anxiety ridden. And, mm-hmm. you know, what's one where there's not like a ton of death or anything. And, and this actually, I think, would be a really good episode. Yeah. You know, the only thing I think could be really scary to them is the the remnants, the the fabric that kills people. But really, I, that's in the range of what we've seen in like Harry Potter type films. Exactly. You know, I, I think if you can handle a Dementor, you can handle that. So yeah, yeah. and and yeah. really on the whole, they don't even the remnants don't even kill anyone in this episode. <laughs> they try. But they, they try. Really there, they so. try, yeah. but they don't, which is pretty impressive. This is like a. Um, I think this could be a good one to show younger viewers. There's a little bit of scare, but not. A big scare. It's not like seeing Tim Shaw for the first time or something. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man, that's never going to get old. No. Just I'm going to laugh every time. Um, but but yeah. Um, and and again, just maybe a disclaimer: kids don't blow stuff up. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Please be, it, be careful you know, around settling. You know, it's kind of like they have the the disclaimer: Curious George is a monkey. He does things you can't do. Um, you know, it's like <laughs> Ace is a Ace is an explosion expert. You can't do what she does. That's so. very true. Just just watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and thinking of that scene though is it does also uh, the explosions. Well, not sorry, the explosions. The the earlier scene with the sniper bots and the doctor using the EMP devices. Yes. That kind of gave me hope that the Sonic might get knocked out of commission. Mode. Um, because one of the biggest complaints I've had with this season or one of the biggest frustrations I've had with this season, and it's not specific to Chibnall and Whitaker and the third doctor. I want to make that very clear. It's, it's really a new thing. Uh, is the screwdriver just being the magic wand. Yeah. And there was so many times in this episode where it felt like the doctor could have discerned something just through her own knowledge and experience or just her cleverness. Um, and instead, it was just, I'm going to point my magic wand at something and have it tell me the answer. And this is something we've been seeing for the last, you know, what is it, 13, 14 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was hoping we would move away from that. And it doesn't seem likely at this point. But but I, I, how do you feel about it? Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, don't get me wrong. I love the Sonic. I think it's cool. I, I get that from a marketing point of view, it's like, well, they've got to have a Sonic we got to sell the new Sonic because, let's be honest, <laughs> mine's sitting right next to me on my table right here. Um, but the Sonic did a lot of heavy lifting in this episode. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, hey, I can write a better episode uh, than Chibnall can or any of the writers can. Um, but I edit pretty well because that's what I do for a living. <laughs> and I feel like there's probably I would just off the top of my head say maybe five or six spots in this episode where what they're trying to accomplish can be done without the sonic 
Um, I, I would agree. Um, when she's closing the doors behind her, mm-hmm. you know, simply hotwire a door really quick. Yeah, pop a um, panel again, open, zap. Same thing, three, four seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as the map goes, she could have hacked the device with whatever computer was there. And again, one to two throwaway sentences, exactly the same as what you're already doing with yeah. the song. And it, it to, if anything, it serves to make the character more effective and more competent. So, and again, not to say this specifically about the 13th Doctor, but just any of the Doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just, it becomes a storytelling shortcut. And I think that if it's once or twice an episode, not such a big deal. No. But if it's walking through a foreign landscape and pointing your Sonic and using it every two to three minutes, it becomes a problem. Yeah. And again, that's not to say that the episode was a disappointment or anything. It didn't ruin the episode, but it's just one of those things I just kind of sigh a little bit and I just wish it was different. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, you know, we may walk into plenty of other episodes where this isn't the case. It may just be something that they've done this heavy this one time. Um, but at the same time, it this might be the only like... Uh, and I don't want to call it a low point, but the the only kind of disappointment in this episode, this was still a great story and I still had a lot of fun uh, kind of going on this adventure with everyone and, and just taking in the grandeur of the scenes and everything. Yeah. You know, it, it felt like a very different sort of story than we've had really for several years. And I'm not sure if I could point to one within the last few years that would even it would remind me of. Uh, it almost felt more like a Hartnell Quest type of story, like a Marco Polo or a Keys of Marinus, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things I thought was interesting is is we have this character, Illin. Illin the villain, haha. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll let you start. What did you think of Illin? Yeah, he, he strikes me as, um, I don't know, just, just somebody who is, is so wealthy um and and clearly accomplished because he even says that that he's done this race himself and and now he's the one kind of funding it um so he's uh basically kind of like putting this on for his his own enjoyment i mean i don't know if it's broadcast around the galaxy or something maybe it is um (laughs) i don't remember if that gets mentioned or anything but you know he's basically um getting his own enjoyment from you know other people's struggles and suffering and um kind of at times even just making the rules up himself so um yeah i don't know i mean i don't really see him as like a big bad or anything but there's definitely this kind of um uh you know i'm higher than you are (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it very much he doesn't want anything to do with the doctor uh, yeah which you know and often in these stories it becomes an i want your tardis or i want you know something along those lines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but even just the fact he's like no i don't want these people you know you're not going to get a bounty for them whatever uh right. just blew it off and and it was interesting because he's definitely more of an antagonist than a villain yes, um, yes. you know it and it's a nice change of pace i i appreciate tim shaw and i appreciate the stenza you know, again, having this infiltrating, invading race, um, you know, and I look forward to seeing more of them in the future. But it's also nice to have these stories where it's not so much, you know, the maniacal, I want to take over everything type of villain. It's more just like this guy's a rich jerk and he wants to have, you know, like the Hunger Games meets Cannonball Run. Yeah, and- he's he's no Jamie Farr, though. No, no, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> wow. But uh, it's still, though, it's just it's this idea, though, that, you know, it's it's he's doing some cold hearted things. But it's not the same type of evil as we usually see in Doctor Who. Yeah. And, and don't get true. me wrong. It's, it is evil and it is callous. 
but but again, is there's also that thing at the end of the episode where um, Epso and uh, Angstrom decide we're going to do this together. Mm-hmm. And the very Doctor Who thing to do in other stories may have been to kill one of them off or to, again, threaten her family or something. You know, there, there may have been ways to have changed it. But instead, he just kind of accepts the situation. And he I thought does. that was a nice change of pace. Yeah, I honestly, I did not expect that when they went in there to do that. You know, it was, you know, and he, he was, of course, threatening. He's like, I'm, I'll cancel the whole race, whatever. You both lose. Yeah. And I expected, I expected more of that than anything but yeah he he does kind of like okay congratulations both winners <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> yeah you know and and it's interesting as well i mean going back to the setting of this planet you know this is a weapons development planet for the stenza mm-hmm. so again is that that plays into that overall theme of, of what's going ahead but i'm kind of curious is he knows about it who else may know about it he meaning illin so yeah you know, again, as this is out there, there's these weapons that have the potential to do a lot of harm, um, you know, and then we've already seen some others from the Stenza over the last uh, few, well, the last episode. So how many planets out are out there that they're utilizing like this? You know, are they doing different types of development on other planets? Um, you know, do they just do this one planet at a time, burn it out and move on? Um, are there other worlds that maybe they've subjugated or use like uh, a hunting world like earth is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it kind of opens up as the more I think about it. Um, it was a, it was kind of a throwaway line or throwaway few lines, but it really implies so much more for what could be ahead. Oh, definitely. And I mean, not, not to mention the fact that, you know, the Stenzer are, uh, going through and, and, and cleansing on Albar on, on Engstrom's planet. So there's, there's definitely, you know, some, ex- what do you want to call it? Expansionist, uh, motives on behalf of the Stenza. Although I have to wonder since the, the TARDIS itself is the ghost monument, right? Phasing in and out and it, and it does it what, like once every 1000 days or something mm-hmm. like that or solar cycles. Uh, I think a thousand days sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the TARDIS has been doing this. It seems like for a really long time. And probably all through the time that the Stenza were running their whole like black ops situation <laughs> on this planet. So they know what it looks like. They may not know that it belongs to the doctor, obviously, but I'm wondering if that is something that is going to kind of play out down the road. Yeah. Well, and, and another interesting piece as well is we don't know why the TARDIS went there. Mm-hmm. Was the TARDIS trying to lead her there? Is oh, there something the TARDIS thought she needed to know? And perhaps that's perhaps that's part of the reason why the TARDIS would never fully materialize. It knew that it wasn't safe to do so because it could be co-opted. But at the same time, as soon as she did arrive, uh, yeah, maybe maybe a few minutes late, a little bit of a scare, but but the TARDIS did come back. So so again, is does the TARDIS have an ulterior motive here? That I I had not considered that. I like that idea very much. Yeah, you know, and Chibnall was, when he talked about this season, he said it was going to be a bunch of standalone episodes. He said, you know, there's not going to be an ongoing arc, really. I, I think he's pulling a wool over our eyes. I, I would not be surprised, because not only was I surprised to, to hear the stenza, but then we get this whole uh, timeless child mention dropped. Something that is so afraid that the doctor has even blocked it out of her own memory kind of thing. Yeah, maybe it's Clara. <laughs> 
I'm kidding. He, well, she, she remembers Clara after 12 got the memory back. But let's yeah. be honest. I mean, Clara is still kind of stuck in that, you know, moment between, I don't know. Please don't be Clara. No, it won't be Clara. <laughs> yeah, it uh, be you Clara. know what I mean? Of course, there's, there's lots of things. It, it could be Susan. Um, you know, again, I don't know that Jenny would count as timeless. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, uh, what's uh, me, Lady Me? Uh, uh, could it be a crossover with the show Timeless, no? It's, it, there you go. <laughs> I know, you would be very excited about that. I'm, sure. I, I'm just glad we're getting a two-hour movie to kind of finish out that because it didn't get renewed, but we're getting a two-hour movie. You know, I, I'm glad you guys are getting that. Yeah. Um, there was uh, Sense8 was another one. Uh, right, I, yeah. I, I watched it very late. Um, and again, it, it, for anybody, if you have, if you try watching it and it doesn't, just give it like six episodes. And I know that's a lot, but give it six episodes and I think you'll really get drawn in. But where it would have ended would have just been a ridiculous cliffhanger. Uh, so, but, they, but they got that two-hour movie for themselves as well. So mm. so it's, it's nice to see that companies are doing that sort of thing. Yeah. And I pray we never need one for Doctor Who. So. Right? Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, it's interesting too, though, because we have this throwaway line. And of course, it in, it seems like it's going to build to something, but but when or how is becomes the big question. Yeah, exactly. Because one of the other things I was kind of thinking back to is, um, you know, not that Moffat would ever leave loose threads, um, but in the episode before the flood, um, O'Donnell, who's one of the greatest companions we never got to have, um, <laughs> she's talking to the doctor and she's mentioning these different things, and she says the Minister of War. Oh right, yes. We never got the Minister of War. Never. And again, I, I don't know that Chibnall will be the one to pick up on it. Um, again, uh, the Minister of War coming from Big Finish in 2024. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and trust me, I'll be the first one to buy it probably, so probably. I shouldn't poke fun. But uh, but again, is so there are there's, we do get threads occasionally where they never get picked up on. Mm-hmm. So, But I think this was too on the nose and kind of too specific probably to where we'll get something. Yeah, I, I really – I got to wonder mm-hmm. – uh, you know, maybe we won't hear about it for a few episodes, but then it'll be back. Yeah. I feel like it I kind mean, of does that kind of thing. I, my answer is always going to be the Ronnie. Like, that's just, <laughs> yes. we, we've been saying the Ronnie for like 11 seasons. Now. I think so. It's just, yeah. It's, she's never coming back. And yeah, it's just, but again, it's fun to say. So I, I, I will always hold out hope. I will keep a candle burning for the Ronnie. Yeah. And speaking of hope, uh, that wheezing, groaning sound the TARDIS makes. Oh, uh, that that last segment leading up to the the TARDIS coming yes. back. Um, it's beautiful because again we get this music, we get the swell, and then snap, Ilan and the others disappear, and Out we're just left with taking off in their attempted a greatest show in the galaxy tent. <laughs> yes, they're. I was so excited when segment. I first saw it, and then I was totally disappointed. Yes, absolutely. It was way too similar. Uh, yeah. But but again, you're just left with this blowing wind and this desolation, these overhead rotating shots that are just gorgeous. And it really does make you, even though you know, of course, what's about to happen, but there's still just this moment of, of the doctor's disappointment is so strong, it mm-hmm. breaks your heart. Oh, completely. Yeah. You know, and then slowly it fades in and you start to hear it. And it doesn't sound like what we've heard before necessarily, but it gets there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you just you you watch her reaction and just the excitement and and that swell. I got I don't even know how to what it what to what to call it. And you know, it's, I love the oh, come to daddy, mummy. <laughs> <Yes>, like <laughs> yes, okay, still those moments where it's like she's learning too. So yeah, exactly. Uh, and and 
I didn't hear it when I was watching it on TV last night, but again, when I was watching it at lunch today with, with headphones in, she, she runs up to, and she's like, I love you. I don't think I caught that. She totally said, I love you, which I thought was, I, I, it was fantastic. And she's there. She's like, Oh, look, you've done yourself up and apologizes for having lost the key and just (laughs) all that kind of stuff. I'm just such a sap for this kind of stuff. It was, it was magnificent. What did you think of the new console room? I, I dig it. It, It's, it's, it is different and sometimes going a little radically different is a good thing it's a little jarring at first kind of going i'm like okay this is all really kind of crystalline oh look here's like the entire box of the police box before you kind of come into the console room um i think visually it's amazing um and i saw one of the little behind the scenes snippets that they throw up on social media it's like you know 90 seconds long or whatever talking about where they took inspiration for the different visual elements um like on the walls and everything which i thought was really neat um but i i love a good analog console yeah it's it's interesting i i like the entry path um mm-hmm. like you mentioned kind of like the the boxy entryway um my first impression was this is very orange um, <laughs> it is that just, that is true very orange uh and that's different uh yep. you know again, um uh, the crystals, I'm not quite sure about yet. Um, the way they kind of arch over the, the console area, mm-hmm. I, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I don't think we really got a chance to tell if the the, the central console looks like it's the pure crystal, like the, the, the posts. But I didn't get a chance to see if it moved or not. Um, no, I, I, I know we didn't get a chance to see if it moved or not. Um, it, it is definitely, you know, a big crystal in the center. <laughs> and I don't. I'd be, I'd be so curious. I don't think they'll ever explain it, but I'd be so curious to know if that was um, like as soon as the doctor hit her sonic, mm-hmm. trying to stabilize the TARDIS and kind of bring it all the way into reality uh, here, uh, there. And the TARDIS goes, recognizes the sonic, which not quite sure how we would do that, given the fact that the doctor made it so far away from the TARDIS and it didn't grow out of the TARDIS. And I'm not going to overthink this, but I'm totally overthinking this and goes, Oh, well that's the new decor. Okay. Let's paste it all over here. I, I just, I don't know. I'd be so curious to find this out, but I don't think I ever will. Yeah. I, I, I'm just not sure yet. And I need to withhold judgment for a little while longer. Let it grow um, on you a little bit. One thing I did appreciate is the light, coming in through the panel windows that actually gave it a very cathedral type of view. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see how that will play when they're in the vortex or when they're in space. Um, You know, will you have different type of light coming in or lack of light or just how will it impact things? Um, Interesting. That was one thing I appreciated about it. Um, You know, I mean, there's, it's a very busy set and I'm not, (laughs) it's just that there was a lot to take in. Um, yeah. you know, and again, there was a lot with the Capaldi set, but it was a little more traditional with bookcases. Right. Um, but, but quite honestly, I mean, the only way to make me happy would be to go back to the Hartnell set with like wallpaper roundels and stuff. So don't listen to me, <laughs> you know, and I'm giant just, candlesticks, and... just a grouchy old man. Yeah. So <laughs> I, the, the other thing, um, that I, uh, thought was just kind of a funny little thing was like the little, like, translucent you know 3d printed looking tardis yeah, yeah the, on the, the console TARDIS, yes 
I, I'm not sure what that was about. Uh, maybe that's what's going to make up for the lack of a moving uh, center column. <laughs> maybe. We, we, <laughs> just we are now in motion. Answer. We're now yes. in motion, everyone. If you couldn't tell already, I don't so, know. So if she fixes the chameleon circuit, does it change to different type? Uh, right? Sure. Never going to happen. <laughs> but still. Well, we lots know of what, things. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the chameleon circuit will work the next time we, we get a doctor going, I'm going to use a sonic lance. Yeah, it's it's going to happen the next time we don't get a showrunner who hated the Eric Sayward era. So, <laughs> you know, I think that's going to be one of the big keys as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. It, you know, there's there's just I think it's interesting because this episode falls to me in the same range as I would have placed the first episode, which is if I was going to put a number score on it, I'd say about seven out of ten. OK, um, I think it's good. I don't think it's great, but I think there's still a lot of potential and a lot of groundwork being laid. And I think that this is going to be a lot like season one where it doesn't maybe seem clear to you at first, but when you go back and rewatch it, um, you know, Raxicalica, Patorians aside, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a solid season. And again, yeah. as it's, you know, there's not a lot of high highs necessarily, but there's not really many lows either. Yeah. And I can that's like, that. you know, I mean, if we could just get a, like a season of like episodes that range maybe at like six to eight with maybe like a nine or 10 thrown in somewhere, but you know, again, just everything is solid to good you know, occasionally great. I think that'd be awesome. Oh, for sure. I, I, I completely agree with that. And, and I mean, so far, fingers crossed, I know we're only two episodes <laughs> in, we're on that track. Um, what did you think? And, and you know what? I would be remiss if I didn't say that. I love that. We got Venusian Aikido. Where does that rank on the Duggan scale for you? Uh, well, that, that's interesting because that's not, <laughs> that's like, it's like an inverse of the Duggan scale because exactly. Duggan needs smashing and this is a pacifistic move, um, but it's effective. So I've got to give it something. Five? It's, it's, it, no, but it's interesting, though, because uh, Pertwee's Venusian Aikido was much more just basic, you know, kung fu karate type moves that you would yes. have seen. You know, it was much more like uh, throwing people around and chopping them and such. So yes, which is, would rank much higher on the Duggan scale. That's for sure. This is a little bit more Vulcan nerve pinch. Yeah, but you know, I don't know if they were ever mentioned as uh, nuns before either. I don't think so. At least not in so far as I recall. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, but I thought that was neat. Yeah, I mean, Venusian nuns coming from Big Finish in twenty twenty six. I already got my pre order in. <laughs> Every Gang, time if we you hear me joking about Big Finish, I, <laughs> I have like 400 Big Finish titles in my in my library, so I love them. But it gets silly at times, yeah. Well, and and that's that's where this silly is worth it because I've got a feeling every time you make that joke, the years are just going to get further and further on. So the next time we have Mike on, it'll be like 2068, <laughs> 2074. You know, for as far ahead as they uh, they record Tom Baker stuff. Right, we could be getting Tom Baker in 2050. We it's, might. Be. There's, you never know. So we might be. I, I pray we do. Bless but. that man. Um, so, at least in so far in stuff from the story, what did you think about this kind of like new dematerialization look? Again, uh, got to see more of it. I, yeah, you know, it's. I, I like the janky older effect, um, and I'm just not quite sure yet. This looks a little smoother. It, um, yes and, and again i but I, it's i don't want to hold the past against the present either so sure. uh you know again is i'm just gonna have to see maybe where it 
falls and this seemed like more of a long distance shot as well mm-hmm. um, so i'll be curious more of when we have some close-ups or when we have other characters in the same shot how that plays that's a really fair point I, i'll yeah yeah I, I i liked it i thought it was neat i mean again you and i are like <laughs> brothers from completely different families but brothers yeah. nonetheless and and a lot of our um especially doctor who uh experiences growing up are very similar so that that will always kind of be kind of home and heart for that but um right. you know i mean i know they're going with a lot of new effects uh with uh double negative doing it and I, I i like it but i think you make a good point i think we need to see more of it to go okay this is cool or yeah no i i still like how they did it in you know season 24 or whatever yeah, you know, and and little nitpicks aside or uncertainties aside, this is the most excited I've been in do- about Doctor Who, gosh, probably since the anniversary. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Capaldi mm-hmm. or anything we've had for the last few years. Um, but just how fresh this feels compared to a lot of what we've had over the last really decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it takes me back to that first season with uh Oh, goodness, not the first. Well, first season of New Who, um, you know, with Eccleston. Yeah. It, it really takes me back to that where it feels fresh. It feels uncertain. Um, as far, not uncertain, but it feels like you just don't. It's unpredictable. You don't know what to expect. Um, and I think that with RTD and with Moffat, once you'd seen one season, you knew exactly what you were getting. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, this just feels totally different. It feels visually different. The music is different. Uh, you know, and again, to have this strong cast playing it so well and the one other thing i think i haven't mentioned yet and i won't go too deep in this because i know we're coming up on the hour mark but (laughs) i appreciate that all of these characters feel like real people yes i feel like i could go to the uk right now and meet these people Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be there so i don't know what i'm doing but um (laughs) you know they're in desolation and i'm trying to find them but um i'll visit the ianto shrine so anyway uh but but yeah, these these feel like very real characters, and I love Moffat, and I love a lot of what Moffat does, but his characters very rarely felt tethered in the real world. Yeah. Um, and again, you look back at Rose, Donna, Martha. You know, um, I, I I didn't even care for Rose necessarily, but I believed Rose. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I believed Mickey and some of these characters, mm-hmm. and uh, even Captain Jack, I would say, who's this fantastic character. Um, after that first story, he still develops some believability. And at times, some of the Moffaty characters just seem like very plot point driven or they had to do things to make a ridiculous, crazy, over the top continuity thing happen. Yeah. Um, I get what and you're again, saying. so so even though I love that era and I like a lot of those characters, this just feels grounded in a way we haven't had in a long time. And even the doctor. I mean, yeah. again, like I was saying earlier, is, you know, she's kind of a little more fallible. She's a little more down to earth and, you know she she's winging it a lot of the time mm-hmm. and compared to some of what we've had that's a nice change of pace no that's it completely is and and you're right this is even for me this is the most excited and i loved like season nine and ten you know i thought those were incredibly strong seasons but this start this newness this change i am positively giddy um every time sunday rolls around and just to, to see what happens next, to see where this adventure goes next. And I was I was at least lucky enough this week um, to be distracted 
while it was airing in the UK because we all went down to the NorCal Renaissance Fair um, and found a TARDIS, no less, which I thought was awesome. Um, <laughs> so isn't that always a magical moment? Uh, it, it totally was because we've been going to this one for, for many, many years. And I think we, we missed a year or two here recently. Um, but the kids were big enough. They even wanted to dress up. And, um, so we went this year and yeah, turned the corner, started to head towards uh, like where all the, the food booths and everything were and just boom, TARDIS. I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, we need a picture. We need a picture. Let's go get a picture. Yeah. Um, cause I'm a dark like that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite shops in Burbank, uh, Geeky Teas and Games, yes. uh, teases and tea you drink, not teases and t-shirt. But, uh, if, if you ever find yourself in LA and Burbank, um, you know, they've had a TARDIS for many years now. And I mean, it's my TARDIS. It's just the one I love. But mm-hmm. again, it's just, it doesn't matter how many times I go there or how many times I've seen it. It's magical every time. So I, yeah. yeah. And you've talked so many great things about this place. I've never been, <laughs> I would, I really, I need to go sometime. It just seems like the only time I'm down in Southern California is for Cali. And, you know, yeah. I'm lucky to get a block I, away from the hotel. <laughs> I, I think they're going to have a table at Galley this year. So, really? you know, maybe they'll be around a little bit, you know, oh, they probably won't have their cool. TARDIS, but they will be at Galley. So that would be neat. And, uh, you know, again, we're only like, uh, I think 120 days from Galley or something, maybe oh less. God. So, I mean, yeah, it's right around the corner really. And, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, at that point we're going to have a full season of doctor who under our belts. Yeah. We get to see you guys again. Um, yeah. we're going to have panels. We're going to have excitement. It's, it's, I mean, it's still a quarter of the year away, but it's right around the corner. It so, completely you know? is. And I'm, and, I'm and, very excited because my first attempt at a cosplay is, is nearly done. I'm getting I, the last little pieces for it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Um, it's very funny. I, you know, uh, I think Keir Hansen was talking about maybe trying to do Tim Shaw. So, uh, yes, and, and oh, that I dude, saw that. Yeah, he's a foam craft wizard. So I, I look forward to seeing uh, whatever he comes up with. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm this year. It's going to yeah. be cool. So I look forward to it. Yeah. You know, and I look forward to seeing what you guys discuss over the next few weeks. Uh, it's kind of fun just being a, a casual listener and just hear what everybody talks about. So. Oh, thank you. And Again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for putting up with getting through 50 minutes worth of <laughs> episode and then my computer utterly crashing and losing the whole file. Um, it happens. You know, it does. Well, it's and, a first it's for funny. me. So You know, and I like to think of myself as the Pip and Jane Baker of, of Doctor Who podcasting at this point. <laughs> like when you need to pull somebody in at the last minute to be overly verbose, you know, I mean, like I'm the guy. So, so just look at it like this. Like our first attempt was the second half of the ultimate foe. Okay. And it crashed. So it's like, oh, get Pip and Jane in here. We'll just knock it out as quick as we can. Sounds so, good. So, yeah, if you ever need a Pip and Jane for your podcast, just uh, seek me out on Twitter. You betcha. And I know I'd love to have uh, you, me, and John all looking at an episode or two. Yeah. Uh, you know, here. There, there's, there's some classics I think could be fun to dive in on. Uh, you oh, guys yeah. already covered. You guys already covered Delta, but it's probably for the best I don't because uh, you'd never shut me up. I'd talk twice as long as the story. So. <laughs> uh, that but, is but we'll definitely your jam. <laughs> That's we will for find sure. So, but yeah, again, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, John, I hope you're having fun on the East Coast right now. Uh, yeah. I look forward to talking with you again in the near future and seeing you in a few months. So Definitely. Definitely. Well, as we get ready to get out of here, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at the Podcastica. You can follow me on Twitter at my new handle, Blue Box UFO. You could even find Mike on Twitter 
at M-A-S-O-L-K-O. S-O-L-K-O. Nicely done. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and now even Spotify. Search Podcastica. Um, on Spotify, you can even look up Night of the Living Geeks and you can get all of our podcasts there. Please rate and review us as well. Um, you know, we love the five stars because that obviously gets more notice and gets our uh, stuff out there. But whatever is whatever we are worthy of is what we will get. I will not beg for five stars um also <laughs> subscribe to us on soundcloud yes soundcloud is still around soundcloud.com slash the n-o-t-l-g-n by all means the future is now head on over to n-o-t-l-g.spreadshirt.com get yourselves a podcastica shirt or a future of time and spaces female shirt and uh show your overwhelming support uh for the 13th doctor and the chibnall era and if you are in a position to, please, if you can, help us out on patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. We are pulling together some cool stuff to uh, start throwing back at you in 2019. But uh, it also turns out Spotify is not free, so <laughs> a little help is always appreciated. So thank you for that. And Mike, I know you've, you've uh, supported us on there before, so thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, also, please check out the Y axes. We are so blessed to be able to use their music as our intro and outro music. Check them out on Twitter at the Y axes, their Facebook page slash the Y axes, and not surprisingly, the Y axes.bandcamp.com. They're also buddies of ours over on Spotify. So check yeah, them out. I, I know they are out and touring right now. Yeah, I bought their new album last week. It is awesome. tremendous. So Great. yeah, uh, hit up Bandcamp and give them a try excellent see see people we know like those people yeah i mean not that i don't love the the whole like you know hour that takes place in between but i'm always excited when i hear their music at the start and the end of the episode so yeah that's good song a ringing endorsement if ever i've heard one yeah excellent well next time join us for rosa starring all of our new regulars it was written by Mallory Blackman and the Chibs, and also directed by Mark Tondurai. And we will see you next time. Good night. Take care. Woo! We did All it. Right. Stop this file.